as you're doing that, uh, go ahead, and if you have uh, access to the scriptures, your Bible or your phone or however you access the scriptures, find your way to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 15 this morning. So we're continuing, in fact, this week and next week are the last two Sundays of our series through 1 John called Authentic and Learning How to Live Fully Integrated Lives. And now if you are really like dialed in and you really are like astute to what's happening in our services, you would have figured out before I even got up here what the topic of today would be. It's prayer. Because if you kind of listen to the songs we've been singing and the lyrics and what we're dialing into, it's, we're talking about this authentic connection or conversation between God and humanity. Now, before we get too far on this, I, I, I felt the same thing in both services as we were worshiping. And, and that I think whether we know it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, and I think most of us probably do, one of the greatest desires of humanity is that we would have a deep connection with the God of the universe. And that comes in this form of, that we call prayer. But even as we're worshiping, where we're desiring is that we would have a connection with God where we know that he's hearing us and he knows that we're hearing him. And there's this connection. All of us die and long for that. But what's strange is that that's actually what prayer is supposed to be. But what it becomes is something that we struggle with. Because for most of us, like even when I say the term prayer, you're like, oh man, Pastor John, you're going to talk about prayer this morning? I'll tell you, most of us in the room, you know what the first thing you and I feel is guilt. Oh man, another message on prayer. I just don't do it enough. I don't pray enough. I need to pray more because God, God doesn't love me if I don't pray enough. And it's a spiritual discipline. It's something I have to do. And we kind of live in that, like, like the prayer is this thing that we keep doing to get brownie points with God. And we miss out that that's not the reason that we pray. Or maybe it isn't that you feel guilt. Maybe it's that you are just afraid to pray. There's this weird dynamic that it's like God gives us the gift of prayer and says, listen, you can have this real authentic conversation and connection with me. But then when we do it, when other people hear it and we do it in public, we freak out. Like, nobody wants to pray. You ever been in that awkward moment when you're sitting in a restaurant and all the food gets, you know, served and you're waiting to see who has to pray? Anybody ever done that? And you're looking around, it's like, it's like nobody wants to pray. Everybody looks awkward. In fact, I don't know how many years ago, I was sitting with a bunch of friends. I had never seen this before. But all the food, get, we're sitting in a restaurant, all the food gets delivered, and all of a sudden, all around the table, all my friends start putting their thumbs up and looking at each other. And I'm like, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden, they look at me, and my thumbs run up. and like, oh, you have to pray now. I'm like, seriously, I lost the contest, and now the booby prize is you get to pray. How do that we treat prayer like that? Maybe it's not that you're afraid of prayer. Maybe it's just that you have prayed, and you're disappointed because God didn't answer what you asked for. And so you think, why even pray? Why even keep doing this thing? Why even jump through these hoops or go through this exercise if I feel like God's not really going to answer me? Or maybe you just feel overall confused about what prayer is and what it's supposed to look like in our lives. It is a conversation that God has given us between him and us that if we understand it can transform our lives. So 1 John chapter 5, let me read verses 13 through 15 and then we'll talk about the context that God gives us for this conversation. So John writes this, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So in these three verses, I want to just start with kind of, it's the context that we forget that John is giving us for prayer that makes prayer make sense. 
And the first thing, look at verse 13, that John reminds us is that the context of this conversation is relationship. He says in the first verse there in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're here last week and we've talked about this, so John is writing this, and, and as he's writing, he's writing as a Jew, and as, as, as a Jewish mindset would read this, not a Western mindset like us, when they see the word believe, they don't think what we think. When we see the word believe, we think information. If I just believe the right things about the Son of God, then I know I have eternal life. But what we understood from a Jewish mindset is the concept of believe or know is really trust, which is relational, which means if you are in relationship with the Son of God because you believe in Him and have this connection, then you know you have eternal life. Then you know this context of prayer makes sense. But how many times do we remove the concept of relationship and prayer? Remember, God Himself refers to Himself as Father, which is a relational term. And so prayer is this relationship. But why we struggle sometimes with prayer is because we think, even though we would never say this, we treat God more like an ATM than like a father. So when we have a need in life, we go to him and we say, this is what I need. And we tell him what we need. And we think, okay, just because I said it, because it seems that we take passages like this and say, okay, because I said it, you have to give it to me. And so when he doesn't give it to us, we're like, God, you're not really God. You're not really good. Why aren't you, why aren't you responding to me? So let's just put it in a different context. So if my, my, Courtney and Jordan came to me, my son and my daughter came to me and said, Dad, I need $20. Am I just going to like whip out my wallet and say, absolutely, here's $20? No, I'm not that generous. Sorry, maybe some of you are with your kids. But there is an instant conversation that's going to happen when they come to me. So if they ask for $20, what's the first question I'm going to ask? Why do you need $20? And then there'll be their response. And then I'll say, well, when do you need $20? And is this really important? And does it really cost $20? Or is it something that you can get for $10? So there'll be this whole dialogue back and forth. And then as I dialogue with them, eventually we'll come to some kind of resolve if I'm going to give them the $20 or not. Why? Because I'm their father. And as I engage them in conversation, I'm determining if what they're asking me is the best thing for them. And when we forget that, we have to understand when we're asking God, God knows what is best for us because he's our father and there's this relationship. And so we wait for his response or we wait for him to shape what we ask for, which we'll talk a little bit more about in just a few moments. Second thing, look at verse 14. The second part of this context of the conversation is connection. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is the confidence that we have towards him, which is what? That he actually is hearing us. That we actually have a connection to the God of the universe. Now just pause for a moment. Just think about when you engage prayer, do you really believe that God is hearing you? Do you really think he's listening? Or are we just kind of going through the motions? And that's when we get stuck and we just kind of pray the same prayer, use the same words, because we forget we're in a dialogue or we're in a conversation with him. Or we forget that actually he's actually hearing every single word that I say. Everything that I don't say, he's hearing from my heart and my mind. He knows. Do I really know that? And if we understand the context is I actually have a connection with the God of the universe. And you know what's crazy? And I've seen this happen over and over again. I think our culture, I think those who do not know Jesus, see more of a connection that we have with God than we do ourselves. How many have you experienced this where you have somebody who is a friend who doesn't know Jesus, and when they go through a crisis, they come to you and they say, would you pray for me? Why would they do that? Because in their mind, they're thinking, you know God. 
you can talk to God. You have a connection with God. And we forget that we have that. We forget that we have access to that. But somebody who doesn't even know Jesus knows more of the connection we have than we do ourselves. Kim has a, one of her former employee, employers that she still has a friendship with. Um, he, he has made the dis- decision and he has professed that he is an atheist, doesn't believe in God. Still, Kim still has a great relationship with him. But it's interesting when he goes through crisis how the, the fact that he's an atheist starts to be shaped by his experience. So a number of years ago, his daughter was driving through Oregon and got into a serious accident and was severely injured. One of the first calls he made was to Kim. And what do you think he asked Kim to do? Would you pray? You mean to the God who doesn't exist, who's not real? Even an atheist in a moment of crisis realizes there has to be a God. And so we have to realize that, that even people outside, in fact, it's unique for me as a pastor because, so just to clear this up for you, people have this idea that pastors have a better connection with God than anybody else. So people come to me, oh, Pastor John, would you pray for me? As though at my house, I have the hotline sitting in my living room. I just pick up the phone, hey, yo, God, it's me again. Yeah, I got another need coming your way. That's not the way it works. God hears your prayers just as much as he hears my prayers. Because you have the Spirit of God living in you if you've said yes to Jesus. Therefore, the God of the universe is connected to you. If we actually understood that, would it change the way we pray? I think it would. Absolutely. And then there's a third context or point of context for the conversation. That is confidence. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. That we actually are going to get what we asked for. There is this confidence. Now, I'm going to pause for a moment, and this will kind of help us to unpack the rest of the message. Usually we take this verse, and people have taken this verse, and, we, and this is the way we interpret it. That if I ask, God is obligated to answer the way I want him to answer. That's how we take this verse and other passages and things that Jesus said. And so we, we look at this and we think, okay, well, then I just have to ask. And if I ask, then God's supposed to. So it's, it's almost like if I just say it enough, believe it enough, have enough faith, then God is obligated to give me what I'm asking simply because I ask it. If that were the case, then why isn't it every time we ask for something, we don't get it? See, because we take that, and people will take it to the great extreme, and they'll say, well, I just have to pray for it. And therefore, what do we do? We go before God, and we say, God, I want money. I want to win the lottery. I want some distant old relative to pass away who has lots of money that I don't know about, and I just come into this inheritance, and I become a millionaire overnight. And we pray for that. Or we pray that I want this job, and it's the job that I want. It's a job that's going to make me money. Or I want this house, and God, you have to give it to me. I want this car. And so we pray for all these things. Or we're praying for a spouse, and so we're praying for the man or the woman of our dreams to walk in the door, and boom, hello, and poof, it happens. Proposal, marriage, and you live happily ever after, right? Why doesn't it work that way? Because we're missing the core of what John's trying to get at in this passage. If that were the case, all of us would be praying all of the time. Because God wouldn't be God. God would be the genie in the sky with the three wishes. I just have to keep asking, and eventually he will give me what I want. But that's not the way God works. Because what you'll discover, and I know I've discovered in my life, that prayer is more about what God wants to do and shape in me than what I ask. It's less about my requests and more about what God is trying to do in me and how I go about requesting things. So... Look at verse 14 again, because this is the core of this conversation that many times we miss. John says this in verse 14, that if we ask anything according to his will, we leave that little phrase out. We, or we like to reinterpret it and say, if I ask anything according to my will. But John says, according to his will, this is the core 
asking according to God's will. Now, before we go, we'll look at four points of, of what it looks like to ask according to his will. But before we do that, one of the things that we have a tendency to believe about God's will is that it's a drag. And that, you know, when it comes to push comes to shove, the only way I know I'm really following Jesus is if I'm absolutely miserable and get nothing of what I want in this life. There's a mentality that believes that. That's not true, and I'll talk about it because it's the way God wants to shape you and I to change what we value and change what we actually want in this life and change what's truly important. So if we're asking according to God's will, there's a number of things that we have to walk through in this. The first one is this, is we have to be willing to surrender our will. Our will. Or there's another term I think is probably better for us, and that's the word agenda. That we have to be willing to surrender our agenda to God. Listen to Jesus in his own words when he is faced with, he, remember, if you heard last week, Jesus being fully, fully man and fully God, in the fullness of his humanity, he's coming before the Father, knowing what he's about to do. He's going to suffer and die for all of hum- humanity, and he knows what that means. And so this is the dialogue he has with the Father. It says, and then he withdrew in Luke 22 from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. What was Jesus, what was this dialogue about? Jesus knew what he came to do. Now the moment had come. And now he's saying to the Father, if there's any other way, any other option, any other way we can do this, let's take that. But then he says, no, but not my will, not what I want, but I know what you want is best. And so he what? He surrenders in his humanity his will to suffer for us. If you think about that, the way that God works, I think that many times God is always, as he works in our life, he's always trying to see if we're willing to lay down our agenda. We all have agendas. The challenge is, is we always try to make God fit into our agenda as opposed to letting God's agenda be the driving force of our life. I've shared this before, but when we were in Uganda a number of years ago, we had the privilege of staying at the Archbishop of the Church of Uganda in his home, um, he's the head of the Anglican Church, which is the Church of Uganda. And so as we're staying in his home, he had seen so many teams and so many Americans come to Uganda as the Savior. If it weren't for the Americans, Uganda wouldn't exist anymore. That's kind of the mentality that so many Americans would come in with. So we're sitting down for dinner with him, and so he asks us a question. And I know it was a loaded question. And he said, so why have you come to Uganda? So we nominated our fearless team leader to give the answer to the Archbishop of Uganda of why we were there. And this is what our team leader said, and we knew this is why we were there. He said, you know what? The reason we're here is to observe what God is doing in Uganda and then ask the question, how can we help? And when he said it, the Archbishop just had this huge smile on his face. And he said, you know, that is, you don't know how refreshing it is to hear an American or someone from the West say, that you don't have the answer. That you've actually come to observe and you've actually understood this reality that people from the West don't bring Jesus to Uganda. Jesus is already present in Uganda. And, and so then we had a whole different dialogue because what we told them is that we all left our agendas on the plane. We didn't assume we knew all the problems of Uganda and how to fix them. When we came to save the day, we came to observe and realize that God was already at work. In fact, God has been at work in Uganda. Over the last three decades, because of the AIDS crisis as part of that, but there are estimates between 30 and 50% of Uganda have come, has come to Christ. Isn't that incredible? I think God's at work in Uganda. But that's, that's the reality of how we have to come to grips with our agenda, is that we come to a situation, we have our will, we have our agenda, we want God to do it, but God's saying, no, 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 wait. You have to be willing to surrender what you think is best 
and being willing to listen what I know is best in your life. Second thing, not only surrender your will, but there are moments in your life where you will have to sacrifice your will. It isn't, I get it delayed or deferred till later. It's not something I'm ever going to experience. Sacrificing your will so that you can embrace God's. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says it this way, familiar passage. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing that you may discern what the will of God, or what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do you know the will of God? You have to be a living sacrifice. You have to be willing to lay your, yours down. What is your agenda for life? What is the script? What is the narrative that you have already completed and you are telling God to fill it in for you instead of letting God define it for you? All of us have that. But in order to truly embrace God, to have a connection with him, to have a dialogue and a conversation where you can make requests to God and God actually will give you what you're asking, has to be shaped so much by him that there's those moments where you have to let your your will die. Your agenda for life die so that God can do what God wants to do in your life. There are things in our life that God brings along not only because he's at work around us and he's wanting us to, to be, he's wanting to use us to work in other people's lives, but he's also shaping us by our experiences to remind us that what his will looks like so many times is different than what we think our, the will, his will should be for our life. We've interpreted for God what our, his will looks like for our life and then God comes along and says, no, 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 no. That's your interpretation. That's what you want it to be, but that's not what it is. So one of those areas for me is fostering. Kim and I and, our, and Courtney and Jordan, we're fostering. We've been doing it for two and a half years. We had a little hiatus. Kim had some surgery. We're back into it again. We, got, we have a six-week-old, and we've had her for just short of six weeks. We got her at three days old. So any of you are parents of young children or have had young children, you know when you have a baby in your house, sleep is something that no longer happens. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And when we were... Remember when we're like, okay, we're re-engaging this. I know we've gone through, we've had lots of babies in our house. I know the routine. And so, okay, the baby's coming in. And the first day we got it there, I was excited. You know, you see her, she's beautiful. And, and then night comes and you're like, oh no, here it comes. And the first few weeks, it was rough. I mean, she's up a number of times at night, you know, and Kim and I are just like in this, this haze for three weeks because you're just, you're just not fully alive because you haven't had enough sleep. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That parental kind of fog you live in? And then we had great victory the last three nights. She slept through the night, all night. So, but it's interesting this morning. So every Sunday morning, I get up at five. I go downstairs, have this normal routine where I pray and just kind of going over my notes for the, and thinking through the service and just kind of spending time with Jesus. And so I was, it was five o'clock. I get up. She was still asleep. Not a people like, this is great. I kind of sneak downstairs. So it's about 5.10. I'm in prayer. I'm just, I'm pouring my heart out to God. And she starts crying. And I'm like, oh, man, really? And we had already said, we're going to kind of let her cry it out, let her go back to sleep. And, she, you know, it's 5.15, five minutes, but she's still crying. She's ramping up. It's getting louder. Everyone's upstairs sleeping. And I'm deep in prayer, and I'm like, God, I just want to connect with you. Can you please make her be quiet? That's what I'm praying. Because I'm in this deep spiritual moment with God. And she just keeps on crying. 
And so finally, I'm like, oh, okay, all right, God, time out. So I walk upstairs, and I open the door. She's crying. I'm like, oh, I pick her up, and, you know, and then her cute little eyes, and you start melting. So we're walking downstairs, and so I'm like, okay. And as I sit down, and I put her next to me, God reminds me, this is my will for your life right now. You're having this deep spiritual moment with me in prayer, and I'm speaking to you through a crying baby, but you're too serious about my will to realize my will is upstairs crying for you right now not sitting downstairs having a spiritual moment with me. I was doing what I thought was God's will. Prayer is good, but when God actually answers you, you got to do something about it. It's like, God, I want to hear from you. I'm speaking to you through the crying baby upstairs. How many times have you experienced where God comes along and says, yeah, you think you're living out my will, but you haven't sacrificed yours, and I'm going to push in on this in your life right now so you discover what it is. Third thing. So you surrender, you sacrifice, and then eventually it leads to embracing God's will. If we're going to pray according to God's will, we're going to have this dialogue with God, we're going to have this conversation, there has to be that moment where we are confronted with God's will, and not only do we go, oh wow, that's different than mine, but we actually embrace it. That is always a tension in following Jesus. It's not that, that God is the killjoy in, in the sky who just wants us to be miserable, but part of the journey of following Jesus is that he begins to shape what you think your will for your life is. He has influence over that. And every once in a while, you are confronted with how far away you might be from what you think God's will is. Therefore, you struggle in the avenue of prayer because you keep praying and God's not answering. And it's not because God's not answering. It's because what you're asking is not according to his will. There's a couple of people from Scripture, there's a lot, but let me just highlight two of them, that had these kind of encounters where they were convinced, at least one of them was really convinced, he was doing the will of God. Maybe you find yourself in them. Peter's one of them. Peter's a perfect example. Peter always thought he was dialed into the will of God. Always. To the point where, when Jesus would begin to explain what his life was about, Peter would correct Jesus to help him know better what his, the will, God's will was for Jesus' life. One of the, the biggest moments is in Matthew 16, verses 21 to 24. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be rise, raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let them deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What was Peter doing? Can you just, just grasp this for a moment? Because remember, if you rewind and go back a few verses, remember Jesus said, Hey, who do people say that I am? And then Peter comes up with this great confession. You are the son of God. And, and then what, is, what does Jesus say? You didn't get that on your own, Peter. That was revealed to you by God. And then in the next moment, Peter's saying, Jesus, you got it all wrong. You're not supposed to die. You're not supposed to suffer. You are the Messiah that's come to overthrow the Romans to reestablish Israel's kingdom on earth. That's why you came. No, that's not why Jesus came. That was the Jews' agenda. That was Peter's agenda. That wasn't the agenda of God. So Peter gets confronted with it, and his response is like, oh, yeah, let's do that. No, he has to correct Jesus because it doesn't fit into his agenda. It doesn't fit into his will. And then maybe the rest of us are just like Jonah. 
Jonah is another one who was confronted with God's will, but he didn't respond by correcting. He responded by running. So pretty famous group of verses, Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call it against it, for their evil has come up before me. Then verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We're going to go through the minor prophets in the next few months. Jonah is one of the funniest books in the, in, the, in the whole Bible. Just think about this. Jonah is a prophet of God who knows God, who knows that God is the creator of all things. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, and so he thinks, aha, I can outrun God's will. I don't want to do God's will. I'll just be honest. I don't, I don't like the Ninevites. I like them to be destroyed and squashed and just, just, just mass destruction on them. I don't want them to, to be saved, so I'll go the opposite direction. Sometimes I wish that God would do what he did to Jonah to most of us. A big fish would come out of nowhere and swallow us. Because I know in my life, and this is the thing, is Jonah ran physically to get away from God, but he couldn't outrun God. You and I can run in plain sight and think that nobody knows what's going on. You can run right now. You, in fact, some in this room right now, you're running from God. Doesn't mean you don't go to church. Doesn't mean you don't read your Bible. Doesn't mean you don't pray. Doesn't mean you, that you look like on the outside, everything's great. I'm a good, faithful follower of Jesus. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But you know deep down inside, God has pushed in on you. He's made clear to you what his will is, and you're running. But you're trying to make sure that nobody knows that you're running. Here's the thing. You can't outrun God's will. You can't. Because God is relentless. And he will never give up. He will always pursue, 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 pursue. So eventually you have to say, okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go and I'm going to embrace what you want to do. Because God actually does know what's best. So are you like Peter and you try to correct God for what it, you know, his will is for your life? Or are you just running? And then this leads to the final thing. If we're going to engage in this amazing dialogue and conversation with God. We're going to actually be able to pray our hearts to God and God's going to be able to respond. The final thing of praying according to his will or asking is to live out God's will in our lives. And I've said this before. I think probably for me, the best verse in all of scripture to describe, describe what it looks like to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus or what the whole concept of discipleship is, is 1 John 2 verse 6 talking of Jesus, whoever says he abides in him. So if I belong to Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, then I ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John's saying, listen, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I live like Jesus. Now, one of the things that's important to, to distinguish about God's will is that usually when we say God's will, we're thinking about some future destination, some big scheme thing like, Okay, what is your will for my life, God? Reveal, what we're asking for is a roadmap that gives a pinpoint destination. But so many times when you're reading the scriptures and you're understanding God's will, God's will is every single day. It's not tomorrow, it's not next year, and it's not 10 years down the line. It's every single day. Jesus lived out the will of the Father every moment of his existence on the planet. So how do we know what the will of God is? We look at Jesus we live like Jesus, and then there's no question, I'm living out the will of God. Now, God will determine the destination and the places and times that we live. That's what he does. But he's more concerned about how we live out his life and his will every single day. So just for a couple moments, let's just look at Jesus. I'm not going to go through everything. We'll be here forever. But what did, how did Jesus live? How did Jesus walk? 
one of the thing we, things we know for sure, Jesus loved everyone. Jesus didn't have enemies that he had. He had enemies that they made him enemies, but they were never enemies that he made. They were people that he loved. He loved everyone. He loved everyone that was like him, everyone that was different than him. He liked sinners. He loved saints. He loved religious leaders, and he loved tax collectors. He loved people. So what does that mean? That means to live out the will of God. What do we have to do? It's, not, it's no secret answer here. We have to do what? Love people. And that means if there's somebody in your life who's difficult to love, what is the will of God for your life? To love them. In fact, you don't even have to pray about that. God, should I love my enemy? No, I don't think so. What do you think he's going to say? Yeah, duh. Of course you're going to love your enemy. What else is true about Jesus? Jesus healed people. He healed people. When was the last time that you didn't say, hey, I'm going to pray for you, and then prayed during the week or forgot, but said, can I pray for you right now? Can I lay my hands on you and pray that God would heal what's going on in your body right now? When was the last time you believed for that? Jesus did it all the time. That was, I mean, there were cities that Jesus went in and all the people who were sick got healed. If Jesus healed people, we should walk as he walked, then we should pray for healing. Here's the thing. God's the one that answers our responsibilities to simply ask. And we know we live in this tension that God's kingdom has not fully come. It has come in part, so it's this now and not yet tension. And because of that, we know that every time we ask for complete physical healing, it might not necessarily happen because we know with God, when his kingdom comes in full, there won't be any sickness or disease or dying or mourning or suffering. But it doesn't mean that we don't pray and contend for that. So Jesus loved people. Jesus healed people. Jesus also sacrificed for people. Jesus didn't even have a home. Once he left home, like, you know, Mary and Joseph home, he didn't have a house. He didn't have a place. He didn't have an address. He didn't have a mailing address. Why? Because anything that Jesus had, he never was using for himself. He was sacrificing himself ultimately by giving his life. So when you're, you know, in that moment where you're looking at, should I, should I do this for myself or should I sacrifice for somebody else? And you're thinking, I wonder what the will of God is. What do you think it is? Sacrifice. Jesus never used his resource for himself. He used it for the benefit of the other people. So when you're contemplating how you spend your money in the future and you're thinking, wow, if I leverage myself and I take this big of a loan or I get this kind of house or I buy this car and I just have to really tighten up on my budget and what goes out the window is your generosity towards people who are in need, what do you think the will of the Lord is for you? Not to buy that house or that car or that boat, but to keep your money what liquid so that when God says, listen, there's somebody in need because the other thing that Jesus did is he cared for the poor. That's always the dynamic. It's funny. It's like when we see somebody who's in need, it's like, oh, let me pray for them. No, maybe, maybe we should respond to the need. Or we think, oh, somebody else will take care of them. We've talked about this. When you encounter someone who's in need, and it could be collectively as a church, but it is a lot of times it's indiv- individuals. You're like, oh, should I help them? Well, of course. Why? Because that's the will of God. That's what Jesus did. Are, you, are we catching the theme? I know some of you are looking like, I get this already. What was the driving force in Jesus' life when he was on the earth? It was God's kingdom and his mission in the world. That's what it was. So if we're to walk as Jesus walked, if we're a follower of Jesus, what should be at the core of our life? His mission and his kingdom. It's not an option. We've talked about this before. When you say yes to Jesus, you automatically become a missionary, whether you're called to it or not. Because calling you, we think, oh, I'm not called to be a missionary. Yeah, if the Spirit of God lives in you, and you can testify to the fact that Jesus is transforming your soul, you've just become a witness to who he is. 
And that means no matter where you are, you are a missionary. You don't have to go to Haiti. You don't have to go to any part of the, of the world. You are a missionary right where you're at. That is who God's called you to be. And that's something that if you actually, if I know in my life when I've embraced that reality that every day of my life, whatever place I find myself, I have to keep my eyes open to what God may be doing around me and wanting to do through me. And when I get off of my agenda and I look and say, okay, God, interrupt my day, and I see what's happening, it reminds me of what God really values in this world. It's the people around me. Let me encourage you, one little side note. If, if you struggle with finding God's will or, or wanting to do God's will, I'm not saying this is the only reason you would do this, but one of the things that will remind you of what God is up to in the world is to get out of your normal rhythm of life and go to a place that you're uncomfortable. So we had the Haiti team stand up in front of the church last week. We had 10 people go on the team. All of them are repeat customers, all of them. And I said, I mentioned This is not an exclusive club. This is not like, okay, you have to have the secret handshake, then you can go to Haiti. This was the people who've been to Haiti and keep going back to Haiti and because they're seeing God do amazing work there and they're being transformed in the process. For some of us, you might need just to go to Haiti to wake up to realize God is in profound work throughout the world. And when you go outside your context and you go to a place that you're uncomfortable and you're, you're in a place that you don't know the language and you're eating strange fruit, food and you don't know the rhythm of life and you're surrounded by poverty, then you see God show up in powerful ways and then you're reminded of what God's will really is in this world. That's one of the benefits of being on God's mission. Mission is you're constantly reminded, God's at work around me. For some I know in our church, some of us even struggle to go set foot in a laundromat. We do. I've had people in my church, our church say, ah, that's not for me. Let's go care for somebody. Some, some people, I don't want to go down to Skid Row. I don't need to know. Let the team go down there and do that. Maybe you need to go because you need to be in contact with people who are truly broken inward and outwardly. So you are reminded again of what God is up to in the world, breaking the mentality of sometimes our sleepy, easy, comfortable life that doesn't break outside of the norm to see the bigger picture of what God is doing around us. So let me bring this all back in. So back to prayer. If we are asking according to God's will, that means that we're living according to God's will. That means we know what God values. And here's the thing. It's not that God has like been twisting your arm and saying, okay, pray according to my will. Nope, that's not. I'm going to twist harder. Pray according to my will. That's not the way God works. But what happens is we, as we live out God's will, it changes who we are. We don't ask for the same things anymore. Because those things that used to be so important to us, used to be the things that we have to have in order to be happy, are things that don't matter as much anymore. Because now what's been replaced with is what's truly important. So then when I ask, I'm asking differently. Because I know what is important to God and it's become important to me. And so because that God's transformed. And that's why somebody who's followed Jesus for years and has truly become more mature, they pray differently than the rest of us. They ask for things that are different. Why? Because they're dialed in to what God is doing around them. Therefore, their prayer is different. So let's close with this. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes, and we're going to go to prayer in a moment. Because I think one of the things that this comes down to for each one of us when it comes to prayer is to actually know that you are connected to God. To actually know that God is hearing. To actually know that God is responding. 
And I have your eyes closed right now, and it's interesting. You know, we, we do this when we pray. We close our eyes. We'll bow our heads out of, out of a point of focus and a point of reverence before God. But I want us to understand that every single thought, every single word, every single impulse of our heart, God already knows. God already hears. He's hearing everything that I'm saying right now. He's present in this place. And I know at, at the core what, what we long for is that each one of us desire a connection with God. We want to know that when we pray that we are actually in conversation. That God is actually moving. That we can feel Him and sense Him and know Him and respond to Him. Because what's true for every human being is a deep desire to know God in a way that He is real. And one of the primary avenues we experience that is through prayer. And so in a moment, I am going to pray, and I am going to direct my words towards God, but I want you to know today, God is at work in your life. God is in the process of answering your prayers, but he's answering them in the way that is best for you as he sees fit. He's answering them in a way that will shape and change and transform your soul. He's answering them in a way that will change the way you pray in the future. But today you have to be willing to surrender yourself to him. Lord Jesus, we know that you are present by your spirit. Father, we know that you are good. You are a good God who loves his children, who responds to our requests according to what is best, and we know that ultimately your will is what is best. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. And so today, I pray that you would change our understanding of prayer. In fact, when it comes to prayer in the future for us, Lord, I pray that you would take away the awkwardness. You would take away the fear. You would take away the disappointment. You would take away the things that have become almost a cloud over this beautiful gift you've given us to commune with you, to connect with you, to dialogue and conversation with you so that our hearts will know that we are connected, that we can be confident as we live out your will. That even now, Lord, in these next few moments as we conclude with worship, I pray that tangibly for each one of us that as we sing about knowing that you're here now, that we would truly know that you're here now. That what it is, Lord, in fact, even right now, Lord, I, I felt, and maybe even now you're asking, I believe, Lord, there are people in this room right now, people that I've talked to today and people I haven't, that need a physical healing from you right now. And being here now for them is healing. And so I pray right now, Lord, whatever anyone in this room is struggling, Lord, if there are people in this room that have cancer, I pray in Jesus' name you would bring healing to their body. Lord, if there are systemic and long-lasting diseases, those who are diabetic, those who have high blood pressure, those who are anemic, those who have all kinds of issues that, Lord, that, that are modified with medication but never healed, I pray right now, Jesus, would you bring your healing for those in this room right now that aren't even diagnosed, but, Lord, know there's something wrong in their body, I pray that, Jesus, would you come. You healed 2,000 years ago and also told us through the writers of Hebrews that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that we would see you do greater things than even you did when you walked the planet. 
So I pray for your healing. So Lord, as we worship in these next few moments, would you come and be here now among us? Would you connect to us? Would you bring healing? Would you speak to us so that our hearts know beyond the shadow of a doubt you are here and you are speaking and you are present in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, in your name.